Hey metalheads, you like tattoos? Of course you do. If you're in the Louisville, Kentucky area, come on over the bridge to Clarksville, Indiana and get you some ink done at Ageless Art. If ink isn't your thing, they have a piercing studio as well. Visit agelessartclarksville.com to see some frequently asked questions, meet the staff. The shop is open Monday through Thursday, 12 to 8 p.m., Saturdays, 12 to 10 p.m., and Sundays, 12 to 6 p.m., all appointment-only spots. You can set up your appointments by phone at 812-283-1793 or email agelessarttattooandpiercing at gmail.com and someone will get you set up for your first or your next tattoo or piercing. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2017, one man's vision and passion for all things metal started out as a record store in his house. Years later, the fight against a mainstream empire continues as Shade Beast. An independent metal collective and online store based in Athens, Georgia, is the world's premier heavy metal brand for music heads that value authenticity over the mainstream acceptance. Featuring original t-shirts from some of the best underground artists, as well as stickers, posters from the Shade Beast Presents concert series. Unique, one-of-a-kind collectibles and small curated selection of vinyl and cassettes from the masters old and new. Visit ShadeBeast.com and enter promo code SITHLORD for free domestic shipping on your first order, whether you're a new customer or returning. And be sure to join the Shade Beast social groups on Facebook and the interwebs to keep up with the new release announcements and talk all things metal and Star Wars. You'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and filth. Thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge. I am Mark Jackson and I'm your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple. Awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at MetalForgeRadio at gmail.com or visit the website MetalForgeRadio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. What is going on, Metalheads? Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of The Metal Forge. And this week, our guest is Mr. Brian Tatler from the band Diamond Head. And you all know who Diamond Head is, right? Come on. I mean, it's probably the most known cover song in metal history with Am I Evil? And he is here today to talk to myself and Jason Gardner from the Heavy Metal Wasteland about Diamond Head and how their effect on metal music has been. And instead of 
the general profile questions this week we have user listener whatever you want to say submitted questions and we're going to get into those momentarily with brian such a rad guy we sat down on a saturday afternoon a few weeks back to have this conversation uh it was around 1 p.m for me and Jason, and it was right around uh, supper time for for Brian, so he had to take a break uh, from eating his dinner so he could be on the Metal Forge, which I absolutely appreciate him doing and completely kicking ass. And, you know, onward and upward for the guests this year because we have got some awesome episodes under our belt this year, and we have awesome more episodes to come with more episodes and segments of Metal Mischief with Athena and the Heavy Metal Wasteland with Jason. I am looking so forward to those. And obviously, uh, Jason's other podcasts like the Mudhorn and the Alehorn that I am a part of on some of those and our various episodes of Unsleeved. On top of that, uh, Athena's Metal Mischief with Thrashers and Destroyers and Heavy Days and the things that she has going on, I am so glad to be a part of as well. Uh, So, yeah, uh, regarding last week's episode with the monologue, it was kind of a solemn moment. Um, I kind of, you know, had said some things to somebody who means a lot to me without thinking and... I really feel like a piece of shit because, you know, you don't understand how words can affect somebody until you actually say them and it either A, just be completely misconstrued, uh, misinterpreted, whatever, and, you know, unless you know, you you just, you know, it's one of those things I think we all, we all go through where we say something and it... And it comes out completely the the other direction, and it sucks. And you know, I made a post the other day on my fa- on my personal Facebook page. If you're not friends on there, just hit me up. It's Mark Jackson, um, where I sit there and I said, you know, um, choose your words carefully because you don't know when it's going to be uh, mis misinterpreted because. Um, you know, we all have our own things going on and we all have our own inner monologues and inner struggles and shit that we're all dealing with and it makes a difference and, and it means something because when you start affecting the ones that mean the most to you, it's um it's hard, okay? Especially when you when you don't have that and and yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and leave it at that because it's it's rough and it sucks. But all we can do is keep kicking ass, keep fucking taking names. Um, yeah, fuck yeah, onward and fucking upward. Take care of each other out there because all we have is each other. You know that, right? Fuck yeah, you do. So we're going to take a second here, a real quick one, and we're going to check in with Jason from the Heavy Metal Wasteland. Welcome back to the Wasteland. Glad to be back. I am glad uh, at the time of recording this that February is pretty much in the rearview mirror. Uh, it's very, it's a very stressful month for me financially and uh, commitment-wise. I have um, two kids' birthdays in February, my wife's birthday, also Valentine's Day, and the Super Bowl, which I count as a event uh, myself. I haven't had much free time to get some wastelands recorded, but now that now that I uh, am over the hump, I can get back on a regular schedule and, uh, you know, contribute to the Metal Forge more often. So this week I picked a good one. More of a rant slash opinion, I guess it would be. Is uh, all the tours that have seemed to just stack on top of each other in a short amount of time. Uh, coming to my area, at least. Uh, usually this wouldn't be a big deal. But, uh, you know, I have kids. I work. And uh, 
I just can't, you know, drop, you know, 80 bucks for two shows within eight days, plus the beer, the merch, the driving, uh, and parking, if that's a thing for you. Um, you know, all that, you know, it adds up. And it sucks. It's all really close together. So the schedule here in town looks like um, March 12th is Kings of Thrash. March 20th is Death to All. I have a show I'm playing at a local venue, the 26th. Um, there's a couple other small tours coming here and there that I wouldn't mind going to a couple of them. Um, Voivod is in May and also I have tickets to the Gojira Mastodon show uh, the first weekend in May and I have a small weekend tour uh, going on in at the end of April so yeah, uh, music shouldn't be a uh, burden or a uh, Sophie's Choice but uh, in this case it's looking like I will have the Sophie's Choice the hell out of a couple of these shows I'm probably going to go to Kings of Thrash. I think I'm going to make it to Death to All, uh, but I'll probably skip Voivod, because I've seen it before. Even though I think they're kicking the tour off in town, which is really cool. Um, but, um, yeah, it just, it just seems like a lot in a small amount of time to me. I mean, I know these I know these tour routers and, you know, booking agents just see dates at work and take them without, you know, thought or regard to, uh, you know, fans wallets but uh i really do think getting these shows this close together uh cannibalizes audiences from all shows because there's no time to breathe i mean especially when they're on weekdays i mean i think kings of the rash is a tuesday and i think um no i think it's a wednesday and death all is a monday so it's either you skip work if you work late shifts or you feel like shit next morning if you're an early shift it's it's kind of sucks, and a lot of people would just say uh, the hell with it. Uh, I have to work. So, um, touring agents, if you're or booking agents, if you're out there, um, just please keep that um, keep the metal fans in mind when you schedule this stuff. Um, give us a little bit of a break. I mean, come on, like, it benefits everyone. You know, it's not just so close together. But that's really all I got this week. I'm going to keep it kind of short and sweet. Um, what tours are coming to your area? Um, you know, let us know uh, any bands that you've uh, never seen before. Obviously, obviously, Kings of Thrash is probably one that most people have never seen before. Um, but, like, you know, have you ever seen Death to All? Uh, maybe you're going to be able to catch Voivod for the first time in the U.S. Um, perhaps the Gojira Mastodon tour is coming to you and you're excited about that. Uh, even the uh, Ghost and Amon Amarth tour, which was announced uh, in the mix of all this, um, you know, it's uh, the typical Ticketmaster way. Tour announcement, tickets on sale this week. Uh, no time to prepare or anything like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot in a small amount of time on the uh, live, live show circuit for sure. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to go to any of these and support the big venues, make sure you go to your small venues and your small bands and support them. Because, really, they appreciate it the most obviously so yeah always support the small venues and uh as always guys you know stay stay safe stay heavy keep the heavy metal flame lit uh thanks again to mark for having me on and uh, we will talk to you next time so this is from the borrowed time album from diamond head this is dead reckoning <laughs>
All right, metalheads. Today is a super special treat. Not only am I being joined again by Jason Gardner from the Heavy Metal Wasteland, he has come out Hello of again, everybody. Yes, he has come out of hiding to talk with myself and Mr. Brian Sadler from the epic, like amazing new wave of uh, British heavy metal band Diamond Head. Brian, hey. thank you for coming on this week. Thank you, Mark, for that lovely introduction. How? Uh, so you're in the UK, and obviously there's a bit of a time difference, and um, we are speaking a couple of weeks into the future here because everybody knows I pre-record these. So how is okay. uh, how is the UK these days from, from um, your perspective? Okay, it's, it's okay. Um, it's February, so it's a bit cold weather-wise. Um we, we did a tour in October, November with Saxon all across Europe and the UK. So, uh, you know, after that, we, we've had Christmas and then January and February are quite quiet for the band. But um, we're going to we're going to start working on some new ideas pretty soon. And uh, it should be good. Everything's looking good. We've got a few dates come in. Um, it's, it's slow at the moment, but uh, hopefully things will pick up. Absolutely. So, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on to the Metal Forge is, so we're not going to go too crazy back into the history with Diamond Head because you guys are mm -hmm. uh, a massively established, uh, you know, British heavy metal band. But what I'm, I'm curious about here is back in 2019, you all released your latest album, that was actual studio and here we are you know four years later do are you all yeah. going to be doing an album this year uh, uh yeah probably um we've got some other things we've got to do first but at some point we've just got to get in and and record the drums and make a start because we've been working on material since probably 2019 really as soon as as soon as i mean we finished writing the coffin train in 2017 and then it took quite a while to 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 record it and then get it released and get you know we, we got a record deal with silver lining at that point um but as soon as an album's you know finished you start on the next one so especially having of course lockdown um we had so much time to write material and like a lot of bands you've got to you've suddenly got lots of you know free time and and uh you're able to, to concentrate on on writing because that just felt like the best thing we could possibly do with the time um so so i think a lot of bands have probably come up with some good material because i've been able to focus so much and i think uh i have as well and diamond head because uh we can you know just focus on it it's been uh trying to turn a negative into a positive really Yes, absolutely. So you all were able to at least harness a lot of the, the pandemic to actually, actually write most of this new album. Yeah, it, it's most of it's written. Uh, we'd still have to write lyrics and things, but um, uh, there's a few ideas dotted around, but, but we did a lot of music. We've had some rehearsals, and uh, uh, it's just... We've had to leave it again because, I mean, we've been on tour and done lots and lots of festivals last year. Plus, also, we've got a new bass player now um, who, who joined about mid last year, June, June July last year. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll, um, you know, get, get back together and then probably have to relearn the songs because we've all probably forgotten them by now uh, and, then, and then record it. Okay. Uh, so... That's one of the, you. You said the thing about the vocals, and I've always thought that was interesting because myself, I am a singing bass player in a three-piece band. So you know, it, we're real bare bones, and I pretty much write everything that I sing as well. Do you also take part in in lyric writing as well as all the guitars? I've tried to. I most of it is done by Raz. Uh, and then previously, you know, uh, Sean, etc. But uh, I, I've tried to. I've come up with some ideas, and um, there's a few ideas to be presented to to Raz at some 
upon me at some point so that we can uh, you know knock her into shape i think it's it's good to have a, something on paper so a bit of an idea to start with rather than a blank page and i just feel if you can get the vocals going you can you can understand the shape of the song a bit better and where things need to drop out and all that rather than it just be you know work on the music and then finally work on the vocal i, I don't I don't really like it like that. I like to know what, what the vocal's going to do in advance, really, so you can make, before you make final decisions, like, these are the, this is the drum track, you know. Right. So you're not actually going in blind, as it were, to say that, okay, writing writing lyrics in the studio, for example, when... Well, we've done that, but it's it's a crap way of doing it. It's expensive, isn't it? And, and it puts a lot of pressure on the, whoever's writing them and studio time so i try to prepare everything before we go in but it's that's just a, an ideal really it, it, half the time it never actually happens definitely so when it comes to recording and this may be just like my being a, a music nerd here is what is the shortest amount of time you've recorded an album in uh, a week. First album, Light into the Nations, was recorded and mixed in a week. Wow. So that was the fastest. We've never done anything that fast since. The second album took three weeks, you know, and on it went. But, um, yeah, a week. But, the, you know, when you're young and somebody says you've got a week's studio time, you think, oh, great. You, know, <laughs> you don't question it. Right. You go for it. I remember, uh, I remember, like, shitting myself over having uh, two 10-hour two blocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well bands used to you know the first black sabbath album was done in in a, an afternoon or whatever it was yeah it was, so, like, uh, it was like two uh, ten hour blocks yeah yeah, yeah and and uh, the who's first album and a lot you know beatles would just go in and record live wouldn't they and uh that'd be it you'd there'd sort of be no mixing or anything it was just just get a balance recorded straight to mono and off you go so it doesn't have to be uh you know, indulge yourself for six months. Right. Jason, what did you have to say? I feel like um, when bands start out, like getting something out ASAP is more important than like, yeah. you know, songwriting mm-hmm. or production. You're just like yeah. in a hurry. Cause like my fir- band's first EP was like literally like a weekend. Like it was recorded, mixed, mastered, and, yeah. and not pressed, but you know, it was ready to go. So, I mean, it's like, that's just like the priority is like, let's get something out. And yeah. then, worry about it later you and you've, you've probably spent you know possibly years getting to that point anyway so you know the material you've you've done gigs you've, you've road tested everything you've got all your lyrics so you should just be able to go in and record it like as though you're doing a live gig really but it's just there's no audience and, and loads of microphones yeah definitely so when you're in the studio it is there a, per, a personal preference that you like do you all like play into a click do you like having a live rhythm track where it's you know as raw as it can be how do you all prefer yeah. to do that yeah we, at first we didn't use a click you know on the first couple of albums maybe but of course once pro tools come in and everything goes to the grid you have to do it to a click now and and we do it sometimes do it to a movable click where the the click would speed up, say, for the chorus and then, you know, speed up again towards the end. But, uh, yeah, everything has to be clicked now, really. Right. I think it it produces a much cleaner sound to do to a click. And mm. you can mm. focus on uh, learning the the best way for you to, as a player, yeah. just the, 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 the editorial you, not personally... I think it it teaches one to to learn the best way for them to play. Yes, it does. And and you know if you've got a, a song with a gap in it or something, if you haven't got a click, it, it can be a bit a bit hairy trying to jump. You know, all jump in at the right moment and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's got to be done. And and people do things like, like elastic audio, don't they? And they can stretch things and and, and tweak things. You know all the way up to the mix if you've got click uh, mm-hmm. but if, if it's not if it's all complete feel like you know great you know led zeppelin and pink floyd and all that that would have all been feel wouldn't it uh, and i love all that but uh, i think everybody uses 
clicks now. So, and, and we've probably got used to it, you know, everything being in time and, and metronomic. You know, I've heard the I've heard the rumor that out of everybody out there that you know, big like magnanimous bands that there's still one old school drummer that does not use a click to record albums to. Oh yeah, and it's Nico. Oh okay. And, and right. I could kind of get behind that because he's just like so, you know, there. <laughs> so hell yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, I watched a okay. video. I watched a video with you uh, here just a while back, and it was a guitar lesson video where you were teaching Am I Evil, which is super great production. And during the video, you had said, this is how I do this. This is how I play it. But if you wanted to play it easier, you could play it here. Yeah. Now... Is is that something that you you still like toy with as you know just to break up the monotony on a live deal? Do you play um, it in separate places just to? No, no, I probably you know look for the easiest way to play it um, or whatever sounds best, uh, and then find that. And if if that's different, if I've moved on from you know making the record and found a better way to play it, I will I will play the you know, the new version really because. It's just, it's either easier or it sounds better. Yeah, I'm not, it doesn't have to be, you know, purist and it has to be exactly like this. Definitely. Well, <laughs> a, couple I, of the, a couple of our songs have evolved over time, you know, and we've changed little bits and t- taken a bit out here and there or added a bit, you know. Definitely. Well, I think it's interesting to, you know, when you when anybody goes to the pub or whatever and sees the cover band out there and they're playing Crazy Train or something, but they're playing it in this weird yeah. way. I, I'm yeah. personally like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it's yeah, I've just seen like, that. And Thin Lizzy. I've seen trib- Thin Lizzy tribute bands that, that don't quite get it right, that don't quite get the harmony or something. And it's it's just jar a little bit but uh you know perhaps i couldn't figure it out so what do you do right (laughs) absolutely so um (laughs) and the the so's are a lot of things that i edit out too by the way (laughs) okay um speaking of promotion you guys are playing domination festival here in a couple of months in may yeah so like wow a lot of uh that's a, a pretty big festival. There's a there's a ton of bands on there. Yeah. It's not bigger than I mean we've done big festivals, haven't we? We've done Sonosphere and and you know, all sorts, Reading. We've done pretty big festivals before. Uh but yeah, that's good. It's 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 a nice bill. We're looking forward to that. We we as I say, we haven't got that much in the diary yet. So uh, that's one of the ones that, that's waving at us from the from further down the line, saying, "Yeah, you know, get get your act together by this moment in time." You know, definitely, yeah, it gives, <laughs> so you, it gives you a headline. Yeah. yeah, it does. It's something to look forward to. We all, we're all aware that it's in the calendar, and uh, we'll prepare for it. I mean, I'm just looking at the even the Friday lineup is is amazing. Uh, Blind Guardian, Sirithungle. Twilight Force, Visigoth, High Spirit, Satan, Seven Sisters, super great bands, even on the Friday, yeah. even. And yeah. Wow. <laughs> that would be good. That'll be nice. Yeah. And it's in England as well. Yeah. We don't, uh, we don't do that many festivals in England. We, we keep disappearing to, you know, Germany and Spain and Italy and what have you, but it's nice to do one in England. There was supposed to be one last year that got called, called um, Rocking the Bowl, uh, but they pulled it in the end. I'm not exactly sure why, but yeah. Definitely. So in in the big scheme of things for like, you know, for you guys who've been around for, you know, over 40 years at this point, uh, mm-hmm. close to close to what, 45 Something like that. It was formed in 1976, so you're right. Yeah, it's probably 45. 
so for being around that long, how do when festivals do that and you get booked for this festival, say a year in advance, and whatever the booking is or the booking fee and the like the deposit, it's like whenever they just like cancel the whole festival a week before the show after tickets and such are purchased, how do you all accommodate to that? Do you still use the um, the plane tickets or the train tickets and go on vacation or um, holiday? No, no, we would just not go. Um, I mean, they, if it's a, an abroad festival, they may be able to get some kind of refund on hotel deposits and okay. uh, flight tickets. They might be able to swap them, you know, so they may have another band or something that they could swap them with or something. But, I mean, that's that's all the promoter would do that normally. Okay. Uh, I mean, some festivals will pay you pay you a lump sum and then you buy the air tickets and you sort you pay for everything but others will will do all that and then just the rest is profit you know like a like a wage a fee but uh it's different ways of working but if if a gig gets cancelled of course we don't get anything Mm -hmm. but uh i would imagine the promoter would lose some money because i've already paid for this that and the other and uh, it's a shame when that happens but uh it's very tough at the moment with with people getting, you know, still scared to come out and not not sure about about gigs, um, and and a lot of waiting till the last minute to buy tickets. Uh, so promoters have to hold their nerve that you know it, it, it will sell because it could be in the in the red, and then you know it's getting closer and closer, and then finally maybe a day or two before that they go into the black. But it must be pretty hairy being a promoter these past couple of years. Very much. <laughs> I promote small yeah. shows in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you never know who's going to show up because you could have you, – it's such a volatile market these days that if you're just promoting small band shows, you know, uh, I hate to yeah. use the term local band, uh, independent band shows is what I've – switch to saying because of the technological change that we like because we're talking you know you're five thousand miles away from from myself and jason right now and we're in two different states so who are we local to i guess uh but for very progressive mark yes right (laughs) (laughs) um it to me it's like you could have 55 people show up you could have 155 people show up you just never know with the market these days and you've really got to be you've got to have your finger on the pulse i think yeah i guess so and uh just just be prepared you know everybody wants to play we all want to do the gigs and uh it's just a question of promoters you know selling tickets um it's no good if there's nobody there um, so you've got to you've got to hold on and hope that people turn up and and if they do, great, uh, and you know God bless them. Definitely. So as time has gone on through your career, have you lost the the live uh, show urge, or is it something you very much still look forward to? No, I still look forward to it. I I really like the band. I obviously you know. I, the songs we keep it alive uh and we have a lot of fun and we all get on so you know if you've got to sit in the van for 10 hours with somebody you know you've got to like them and uh so it's great you know sometimes things go wrong and you have to solve problems but uh on the whole we all enjoy it i mean we just did that big tour with saxon we did 33 dates in 13 countries, and that was great. Um, but, you know, tough as well. Um, uh, but on the whole, it, it's definitely worth doing, and we all come away thinking, you know, that was great. We, we, we made money. Uh, we sold loads of merch, and we did the band no end of good. So playing to big crowds, it was it was great. So, yeah, we still love it. I, I wouldn't do it. If I hate it, I wouldn't do it. I don't need to do it. You know, I, I'm not, uh, I don't live for the next gig financially. Um, so I, I wouldn't do it. I, I do it because I like doing it. Definitely. Uh, which Jason, I think, had a question. You just made, you just commented on the uh, not really having to have to financially wait for the next gig. And I know Jason had a question to ask regarding some of that stuff. 
Yeah. Oh, first off, I did the math for you. Uh, Forty-seven years is um, okay. What you're at, so <laughs> you could, Jason. So you could do. You could also do a fifty heavy metal years tour like Judas Priest did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're all still alive, by, by then, yeah. possibly we will. <laughs> I saw. I saw their fiftieth anniversary tour on the fifty-second year of uh, because of COVID. So. As, yeah. did, as did I. <laughs> And, and I got to see. Have you really started in 1969? Didn't I or something? Yeah. Have you when ever got? Have you ever got um, a royalty check from a song that was covered that you had no idea existed? Um, like, like say, like band C covered one of your songs and you didn't know about it, and you just get a check. Is that is that? A th- yeah. Well, you don't get a check. You get well. You you know the money's transferred automatically into my bank account but right. normally i will get an online um statement and okay. it, could, it could run to 100 pages and it's just you know constant get little gigs and and spotify and you, you know sales in sometimes I'll, I'll see royalties from countries i've never even heard of right so <laughs> i don't know exactly what band has covered what song or anything but if it, it, it's all there and and you know the publishers are out uh, co- collecting from the collecting societies all over the world. So yeah, they probably miss some of it, but but most of it seems to be being picked up. Uh, and I always think, okay, if I get a hundred page um, royalty statement every six months, what does Paul McCartney get? <laughs> right. <laughs> what does Elton John get? It would take. Years probably just to read through the statements, wouldn't it? And check every 0.01p. <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered because you, I mean, obviously, the Am I Evil cover is like, you know, probably very uh, lucrative, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then they also did Helpless and it's electric. <laughs> so that, that certainly is probably a nice pad in your pocket. But then. Yeah. You know, you got smaller bands like Night Demon that did uh, Lightning to the Nations and stuff That's like right. that. That's right. Yeah. I, I've seen the video. I know Night Demon, and uh, and uh, yeah, I was I was flattered. They did a good version of Lightning to the Nations. I remember a band covered making music once, uh, <coughs> really early on, like sort of eighty four, eighty five, or something. Uh, but I still think Metallica was the first band to cover Diamond Head in eighty four when they released. Creeping Death. I know they've been doing the songs live, uh, but the, the, definitely the first band to, to make a record of, of a Diamond Head song, you know, a cover. So that was great. And who knew that this band, this little band from San Fran, were going to be so big? <laughs> right. Well, you know, what I think is super interesting is when you really look at it, they pretty much covered almost all of Lightning to the Nations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they did used the to do Sucking My Love, didn't they lie? And in, in uh, it's on one of the demos, the cassette demos. But yeah, uh, I don't know if they've done uh, Lightning or uh, what's the other one, Sweet and Innocent, but they might have tried it. Yeah. Right, but they did The Prince, Sucking My Love, Am I Evil, yeah. uh, It's Electric and Helpless. And so That's right. pretty much all but two songs. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask about that, or, or just just to make a comment on, is that's probably the most known cover song in metal. Is Metallica um, doing "Am I Evil"? Good point. I've never thought of that. Possibly, yeah. I can't think of a better example. I know uh, Priest did a couple of big songs. They? they did "Green Man and Leashing." And they did uh, Diamonds and Rust. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're probably right. Because of the big four in particular, that when they were doing, uh, you know, it did it in Bulgaria and things like that. Oh, right. And yeah. it was all over the net. And it was it was on that, the big four DVD and everything. So you, you're possibly right. I can't think of it. You know, somebody might be able to correct me, but you may be right. Yeah. Like, I think that, like, anybody who knows like thrash and you know new wave of british heavy metal that that is the it's like everybody knows am i evil by metallica and then they're like holy shit i've got to check out the original version which yeah yeah. 
I, I like your version better personally, but that's just me because I, I'm a hound for, for that stuff, even though I'm a huge Metallica fan, as you can mm-hmm. see behind me here. Yeah, right <laughs> behind you. Yeah. Yep. Ride that lightning. Um, Have you ever played that song with Metallica on stage? Pardon? Have you ever played Am I Evil with Metallica on stage? Yeah, probably four times, yeah. five times, something like that over the years first in 1986 when they did Birmingham Odia and Cliff was still alive and uh, so I I played Am I Evil on stage with that lineup of Metallica including Cliff which was great wow and then of course we did it in 92 um, we did it um, at the 30th anniversary uh, in 2011 we did it twice <laughs> Yes, and we did it twice at Sonosphere in the UK and in France. So yeah, a few times over the years. That that's awesome. Uh, I mean, just just because I know, like i I get to hear so many cool things about like their their setup and just how welcoming they are backstage to yeah. all the other people that they play with. Oh, absolutely! Um, they're you know very nice people to uh, hang about, hang with. Um, especially Lars, he go. Lars goes out of his way to make people feel comfortable. Um, so it's always nice, you know, very welcoming, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll you know whatever you need. Did you get in okay? Did you have you got a drink? Do you need this? Have you got your right pass? You know, it, it, he's so thoughtful. Um, and I must have seen Metallica like 26 times or something like that. And, he, you know, I've not never paid yet. I'll always get a call or a message saying, you know, we're, we're doing this little gig in in Wembley Stadium. And if you want to get a pass, come down or something like that. But, um, yeah, very, very nice guys. Good deal. So when <laughs> this is my nerdy question of of the whole uh cover song thing that we were talking about so you all did a cover of no remorse yes so i mean obviously you you go through the the proper channels of the licensing and all of that did you did you call them up first and say hey guys we're going to we're going to do this for our next album are you cool with that or anything or did you just do it you just do it you don't have to ask permission of the art artist or the writer right as long as you don't a version which is derogatory or you change the lyrics then you know like for example is five thousand versions of yesterday they didn't all have to get in touch with paul mccartney to do it uh so no uh i just decided on which song we should do after a process of elimination and uh we just record it and then when it when it turned out well uh, i got a copy and i said you know, sent it to Lars, and he was, you know, very pleased. He was chuffed. He uh, he was flattered. I think that a band that he, you know, looked up to has covered one of his songs uh, in, in a sort of roundabout way. You know, like a, a repayment. Uh, it felt like it it went full circle, and yeah. so that was lovely. That, and it was great the way it came out and came together. It was uh, it was fairly easy for, for Diamond Head to 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 um, learn and record that song. It just felt right to us. It felt not a million miles away from our style. You know, it had a, a sort of diamond head DNA about it. Uh, and, we, you know, as soon as we started rehearsing it, uh, we thought it sounded really great and, and really suited the band. And we've done it live a few times now as well, and it sounds great live. Definitely. It's actually one of my favorite songs on Kill 'Em All. So Yes, same here. Same here. Jason, do you have anything else you want to add before we switch over to some general questions? Uh, yeah, just a comment. Um, I was looking, I was thinking about the songs that they've covered that, that have been officially released. You might be the third highest credited songwriter in Metallica's discography from all the cover songs that they've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. And then Tatler. That's nice. And then Because <laughs> <laughs> poor old Jason and didn't get that much of a looking, did he? <laughs> you know, that's something we were talking about yesterday. About it's like right. everybody's there writing. How do you determine who who wrote what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's nearly know. always Hetfield or Ulrich, isn't it? And then mm-hmm. occasionally it's it's Newstead, and occasionally it's Burton or or um, Harriet. 
but uh, yeah, I, it, it, I don't know. It's just the way it is, I suppose. But it, it's a nice um, fact if if it's true. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, song, the whole songwriting thing to me is like, I mean, someone can come up with a guitar riff, but then you know, Lars writes drums to it, and then. You know, Kirk might not write any parts of riff, but he makes up every solo. So that's like actually contributing to the song too. And then, I don't, know, I don't, don't think they class the solo as writing. Uh, I think you add a solo to the song that's already written because you're probably just going to solo over a verse pattern or maybe a little pattern you, you know, invented. Right. But normally, uh, I I don't class the solo as as part of the writing. I, oh. I think. It's like the drums, you know, if you play the drums on it, you haven't written the song, have you? You've played the drums on the song. Uh, you've got to actually come up with the part, really, something really different and, and original that, that will spur a song idea, I think. you know. I mean, it's possible that, you know, drummers and bass players and, you know, guitarists write songs. It doesn't have to come from just the singer or something. But... Right. Uh, it is a bit of a grey area, and people often fall out about it, and they say, you know, well, I wrote that, and I should have a credit, and things like that. Uh, so it can be a bit tricky, but, um, you know, there it is. I think that's the exact reason why Black Sabbath opted to put everybody in the band as a, mm. as a writer. So there was yeah, no grey area of, with them. Yeah. And, and in a way, it's a nice payback if, if the band starts doing well and then they all have the same amount of money like I know you two do it and uh, Radiohead and Coldplay uh, and it is a nice thing I mean uh, we didn't do it and I used to think it would encourage whoever's not writing to get his finger out and write but uh, over time I've realised that not everybody can write so you know it, it wouldn't have hurt us to to do it that way and split it four ways, and then everybody would have had a share of the pie. But you know, at the time, I had no idea. I didn't even know what publishing was when when we signed our first publishing deal. I got a clue uh, that it was you know potentially such a big source of income. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it is, and you know, I think that's a big misconception with bands. Uh, throughout history is you know the finding out how they were completely screwed over like you know like sabbath was and you know that they basically only got they got writing credit but the publishing credit went to like don arden and you know he and so many people got robbed blind oh totally totally so I want to switch over, and I'm going to ask you some listener-submitted questions for for today. Okay. So uh, Brandon Burkhart wants to know, uh, what are your thoughts on the satanic panic back in the early 80s in American music, and what have you – how has that affected Diamond Head throughout the years? Uh, probably not at all. Um I've never heard that term before, satanic panic. I remember there was something about churches being burned in Norway or Sweden or something like that. But it was just a, a news item in Kerrang. I mean, it didn't affect me personally. Uh, and I probably just thought it was all a bit silly, but uh, I don't know. I didn't follow it that much because I'm not influenced by, you know, death metal, Norwegian death metal bands. So I, even though I've, listen to some of them uh, it doesn't affect me as a writer or it doesn't inspire me to to come up with music like that um so uh, no I've, i haven't got a lot to say about that okay yeah i think where where he's like referring to or inferring to rather is where you know like in in the early 80s how Ozzy had the the lawsuits coming up against him because everybody was screaming that because he was heavy metal he was you know a, sa a satanist or you know having songs like uh Mr. Crowley or Suicide Solution and you know uh mm. and in the inverse side of you guys having like songs called like Am I Evil and stuff like that okay uh 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of people have made comments, but but it, but on the just, whole, there's not really just, much of nothing. No, it's just lyrically that works on a. If you come up with a, a good riff like "Am I Evil," and it's a powerful dark riff, then you've got to come up with a powerful dark lyric uh, that suits. And I think that's exactly what Black Sabbath were doing. What you know, what you're going to sing about. Uh, so that's what bands do. And yes, some bands get criticised for it. Mainly the big bands. Um, you know, the lawsuits and the writs come out once you start selling millions of records. So we never got any any uh, traction on Am I Evil, really. Okay, right on. Uh, Jason, do you have anything? Yeah, uh, your favorite um, cover song of one of your songs. Uh, uh, I think Am I Evil. Metallica's um, yeah. version of Am I Evil is really good. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. But it's How did the, you feel about the when Smashing Pumpkins version, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How did you feel about it when they changed the, like the bridge part from your song originally? Um, I guess that would be the bridge part. You know what I'm talking about when they? Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't really know terms very well. Um, well, the anyway, bridge, to me, the bridge is the bit where it goes to B, and they you sing "27." Everyone was nice. That's oh, gotcha. Okay, and that's the same as ours. They didn't change that. They changed something in the toward the like about two thirds of the way through. I don't really know what the anyway. Right, we can edit all this out. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, interesting. Yeah, that was it. That Just, is there is yeah. a there was a band back in like two thousand and like two or three that was a you know uh, a small band from like my hometown that covered "Am I Evil" and "Paranoid." by black sabbath and right into the part where it goes in into the uh the a riff they went ahead and just switched it up to e and went into paranoid so <laughs> see I'm a, I'm a drummer and i don't know these technical terms for notes and stuff so you have to oh. read it. <laughs> <laughs> um i just so, want to count four over and over right <laughs> it <laughs> Stephen Waddell wants to know, and Stephen is from the band Oath in Scotland. He wants to know about okay. Canterbury Tales. He he says that he thought it was a ballsy album to make at the time where you, you kind of switched, you know, switched direction there. And he always seems to think that it it was an influence on people like the Smiths. What What do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. I don't think it's an influence on the Smiths at all, but uh, it's nice. It's a nice idea. Uh, yeah, we just wanted to try different things. I think we, uh, you know, I, I mean, really, we hadn't had much success at at that point, and uh, I think we were constantly searching for a for a successful record and some way of of getting us, you know, out of the out of the red because. Um, you know, we'd been spending money making records, touring. What you need is a, an album that's going to sell a lot of copies, and we we did never manage to do that. But uh, I think by Canterbury, we were just uh, trying anything almost, and and, and trying to be. Uh, we thought it was okay to be. Um, what's the word? Uh, experimental, you know, different change. We, you know, you'd listen to a band like Queen or Led Zeppelin or. Um, well, that that'll do for two. But they would try different styles. They wouldn't just stick to you know every song sounds the same. So we thought it was okay to do that. But I think it is okay to do that once you've established your fan base. And we hadn't, and we were probably out on a, a, a limb, and uh, we got you know we were dropped after Canterbury. So that experiment didn't really work. Right. And you're, I think you're absolutely right with that. It, it, because you could listen to Zeppelin one and two, and it's exponentially different than something like physical. Especially three. Oh, yeah. Especially Led Zeppelin three. The difference between Led Zeppelin one and Led Zeppelin three is huge, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, so like to me, one is nothing but blues is like yeah, yeah. Th th it's yeah. not like you're not going to have like an immigrant song or in it like I was going to say in like physical graffiti with like a trampled underfoot or something and it's yeah. just wow it, it and yeah. but yeah well that was our favorite band 
you know, collectively. So we we thought we could be like Led Zeppelin. Now we thought it was doable, but of course it's harder than it looks. And um, once that territory has been established, it, and you step on Led Zeppelin territory, it's potentially very dangerous ground. So you know, we learned the hard way. Well, you know, when you're 1920, you think you live forever and own the world. It's you, your attitude is uh, is different to. To, you know, when you're 40 and uh, you realise actually how it all works and what you need to to do to to make it, uh, it's a lo- it's a life lesson, isn't it? You know, ambition, the ambition of youth. Definitely. Uh, so, do you have? Uh, so, my final question of the day uh, for one: Do you want to plug anything or give any shout outs to anybody? Um, not really. Um, the, I mean, lighting to the nations. Uh, the re- remastered version is available now, uh, so you, you know, check it out. It's got it's got loads of extra tracks on and uh, fantastic artwork. It's on Silver Lining, so if you haven't you know bought it or listened to it, it's worth listening to um, the the you know the remastered version from the original 1980 album. Hell yeah! So uh, thank you again, Brian. My final question of the day is. If you could give a piece of advice to a young artist out there and that's getting out on the road and touring, what would you tell them? Um, I always say write songs is the most important thing you can ever do. Write good songs. Um, but just don't go too crazy, you know. Don't try and out-drink everybody every night. Don't, you know, destroy the rider every night. Um, you've still got to get up next morning and do a gig the night after and I think you know especially if you're a singer you need to look after yourself you need to plenty of sleep you need plenty of good food don't try don't live on pizzas and burgers um tr- just you know be re- be sensible if possible because it's going to bite you if you if you burn the candle at both ends as they call it you know definitely hell yeah uh Jason you're you're on mute. Uh, he's saying no. <laughs> okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm <laughs> good. talking to you. Thank you, Jason. Uh, no, thank no you, Brian. On the way out today, what from Diamond Head can we play? Uh, I don't mind. Um, heat of the night. Heat in the heat of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, hell yeah. <laughs> you heard him. All right. This is in the heat of the night. Silvery people walk behind me with evil intent. 
What's up, Metal Forge fans? This is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest and head distiller at Spirits of French Lick. Do you find yourself drawn to the unexplained, fascinated by the Fortean, or enchanted by the paranormal? If the things that go bump in the night resonate in your mind, then tune into my brand new podcast, If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Featuring first-hand accounts, collected stories, interviews, history, and speculation related to all things not of this world. Available now on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and more. Set back, relax, and remember, if you have ghosts, you have everything. Hey, let me tell you guys about Mercenary Press. They're an independent London label and distributor of all things metal. Mercenary Press delivers the goods from their own independent zine. Trust me, you're going to want to get in on that. To distributing various bands from all over the world, including Cramp from Spain and Sadistic Force from Texas. Visit mercenarypress.bigcartel.com to find out what all they have in stock and what you can order. And for Metal Forge listeners, enter code MetalForge10 to receive a discount on your total purchase at mercenarypress.bigcartel.com. Check it out now. Hey, Metalheads, it's with great pleasure I get to tell you guys about a new sponsor to the Metal Forge, Ageless Art, New Albany. After 20 years of owning and operating Ageless Art in Clarksville, Indiana, Phil Garrett had a vision for a new type of tattoo studio. Something that is clean and modern, sleek, refined, inviting. And he's done just that with Ageless Art in New Albany. You can find it at 2736 Charlestown Road, New Albany, Indiana, 47150. Business hours are Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sundays are 12 to 6. All sessions are appointment only, so give them a call and go get you some new ink. Or if it's your first time, go get your first one, baby. Since 2013, there has been a calling from the underground. From the graves of all those unholy, and they decided to make a zine to talk about all of this. Soul Grinder Zine! An independent metal zine to keep you informed on all things metal and horror from the underground. Available in both print and digital formats, they're bringing you the best interviews and reviews out there today. Not only do they do the zine, but they also do compilation CDs. Check them out at facebook.com slash soulgrinder.zine and start your subscription now. Hey everybody, let me tell you about the new sponsor to the Metal Forge, Unchained Tapes. They're an independent Pennsylvania tape label. They focus on extreme metal and punk with a killer approach to the tape scene. Visit their web store at unchainedtapes.bigcartel.com now to get your fill of tapes. And for being a Metal Forge listener, enter the code METALFORGE10 at checkout to get a 10% discount on your total purchase. That's unchainedtapes.bigcartel.com. Big Cartel.com. 